previously on the bottom shelf. Warning. Does, does anybody hear a siren? John, did you push another button? No, it's just the one I accidentally pushed stayed down. It does. It's not coming back up. What? Which button was it? It was this one right here. This uh, red one. Ah, uh, no, no. We don't. We don't know what's going to happen now. This is not a test. This is not a test. <laughs> Intercepting their signal was so easy. Very well then. Well, we've seen what they can do with terrible movies. <laughs> but fortunately, John hit a special button I hit on the ship. So let's see what they can do. When I show the movies that aren't so terrible for the next little while. <laughs> Glicks, what just happened? What happened with the impossibility drive? Why is there an impossibility drive on this station? Right as John hit the impossibility drive, we enchanted the wormhole. We are now in the middle of the singularity. In order to restore order to the station, we need to review movies that are quote. Good. Wait. That doesn't we, make sense. If we just is this gonna be like when people come up too fast from deep pressure, like if we just dive instantly into good movies that it'll like Are you worried about an air bubble getting into your brain? I'm worried about exploding. Like have you ever seen the original uh uh, total recall when no. depressurization happens. No, it's it's a it's a blast. Um, I had nightmares as a kid from that. I I rewound it because I laughed at it too hard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is that, oh. I wonder if that's going to be on the list. I don't know. Oh man. So what? What? Hey guys. <laughs> hey guys. How's it going? Uh, I've been out for a little bit. Hey, Branson. Um, do you have some sushi, my dude? You playing um, some Splatoon? No, I'm, I'm allergic. <clears throat> Please tell me you learned the hula. Uh, well, I mean, I could try. I'd... Look, why are you looking at me like that? Oh my gosh! What? It, what? 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 What was it? Prepare yourself to discover a world of terrible movies. On the bottom shelf. Branson was also in the middle of teleporting onto the ship, 
the improbability drive provided something for the bottom half of his body till we can restore thing to normal. Guys, guys, I just had an awesome idea. Oh no. Somebody give me a light bulb. Hang on, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Andy's gonna kill us. Aha, aha. Look, look, look. The power of the sun in the palm of my hand. I don't know what's happening. Guys, I'm a Spider-Man villain. I am a literal Dr. Octopus. Look, I have tentacles. This is so cool. Branson, I'm not sure if I'm okay with just staring at another man's tentacles. Well, until someone can get me a bottom sweater. A hula skirt. Honestly, seems best. Somebody call Squid. Hey, movie lovers and movie haters. Welcome to uh, We Think the Bottom (laughs) Shelf. Uh, This is the podcast where every movie has a place. And uh, we've gone through a wormhole. And we're stuck in a weird dimension where Branson has not human legs. Uh, (laughs) Legs! Human legs! Sorry. He got new legs. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan's <laughs> got new legs. Francis got legs. I've he got doesn't legs know to how spare, to use man. them. I wonder how many leg references we can pull He's in. He's got eight legs. These <laughs> <laughs> legs were made for. Never mind. I'm not going to do that. Not for I, 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 I was told I couldn't say that word. Because it was alienating to people. So I won't say it. Yes. Oh, oh you're talking about we're not supposed to say squelch. <laughs> John, on the other hand, has no Sorry. problem saying that word. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so we've gone through a wormhole and our normally garbage pile of movies has been replaced with supposedly good ones. Well, oh. I, I, we're assuming that uh, basically there's four boxes here. And each one has our name on it. Hmm. And Interesting. I guess we have to watch whatever's in each person's box. Um, I, I hope this is a good thing. Um, in uh-huh. I guess in, in memoriam of Branson's lower half, <laughs> it, should, <laughs> it should be his turn first. You want? I thought vote? we were going to put it to a vote. I have eight votes. Branson, I need I need your bottom legs to stay where I can see them. They're freaking me out. Oh, or back okay. legs. Or back legs. Sorry. I miss said that. But the, Branson, the Branson stop crawling on the wall. No, don't Branson, do that. Oh, Branson, my gosh. I swear to guys, Branson, I look, swear to look. God. I I swear to God, if you Octo if I wake Spidey. up <laughs> if I wake up one night and you're spread out on the wall like one of them big brown furry buggers that just hang out on the wall. I'll hurt you. I need a Spider-Man mask like now. So let's pick up Branson's movie from the box and tell us what we're doing today. <laughs> Looks like it's Lady Hawk from <gasps> all of his tentacles just got really, really like high. Like he stood up oh on his head. He has no toes. How do you say that? This this is quite possibly the best day ever. Okay. I it's now can move head. on the wall like Spider-Man. And my designated movie is my favorite movie ever. Brought to you by the leader of the Donner Party. No, not that one. But Richard Donner, <laughs> who directed Superman and Lethal Weapon, written by the Marble Man. And I mean, Edward Karma, the writers of John's favorite band name, Enemy Mine, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and Merlin. 
this medieval love story is brought to life with the acting of the man who mastered taking days off, Matthew Broderick. The man who may or may not have been a robot in Blade Runner, R- Rudiger. How do you say Rutger. that? Rutger. Rutger. How do you say his last name? Hauer. Hauer. And Catwoman herself, Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, it looks here. like it's directed by somebody nice. I mean, oh, here, Florence, yeah. read the back of the box. Okay. <coughs> Golly. You got to give it drama. All of the tips. Right, here you go. Hey, hey Branson. Yes. You need, to, you need to work on this a little bit. Each time you coughed there, you squirted a little ink. Uh, uh, sorry. I'm, I'm still getting used to all this. Okay. It happens I'll, with I'll, age, brother. I'm just saying. Hang on. I, I can I can almost reach the mop over there. No, no, no. Just read the back. Ah, the there we go. Oh. I can mop while I read this. See, watch. Oh, <laughs> this no. is coming in handy, guys. I got to say, this isn't so bad. Seriously. Oh, okay. All right. Say, read the back of the box. Lady Hawk is the enchanting tale of a beauty, Michelle Pfeiffer, a knight, Rudger Hauer, and a pickpocket known as the Mouse, Matthew Broderick. Once the knight and the lady were lovers. Now the curse of an evil bishop, John Wood, keeps them always together, eternally apart. By day she is a hawk, by night he is a wolf. To end the evil spell, the knight vows to break into the bishop's stronghold with the help from the mouse. Directed by Richard Donner and photographed by three-time Academy Award winner Vittorio Storaro, Lady Hawk is the most congenial spot for happy ever after since Camelot, said by Rita Kimpley, The Washington Post. Well, I mean, sounds interesting. It's superb. Superb. Absolutely superb. I, f- like, I feel like you have a biased opinion on this, though. I mean, this was that your That doesn't box. mean it's a wrong opinion. It can be biasedly right. <laughs> biasedly Biased right. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, being as we're trapped in a wormhole, I guess we don't have any uh, interactions. Just a second. It's the stunned silence of all from the community. No, no, he's fighting one of your tentacles. Oh, sorry. No, no. Number three. Number three. Stop. We've talked about this. Settle down. When did you have time to talk to your tentacles? I, that's a good question. Yeah. Sorry, I was fighting off a sneeze. It wasn't sure if it wanted to come out or not. All right. So, the tissue. There you go. Here's a whole uh, box. I'm, I'm good, brother. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I froze. Uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and do some trivia. Uh, apparently, in one scene in this, uh, Rutger Hauer's character tells uh, Philippe Gaston to ride his horse to Imperius's castle, and then slaps the horse's rear end to make it ride. However, the first time the scene was filmed, Howard slapped the horse too hard and it took off over a hill and off into the horizon. And uh, the horse was too powerful for Broderick to stop. So all all anyone could do was just sit and wait for him to come back eventually. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's one way to get a day off. I was going to say, that's probably why he needed the day off. (laughs) That is a thing, man. Uh, Spike <laughs> Two, the hawk featured in this movie, uh, worked with worked in the Universal Bird Show until the year 2000, when she was transferred to the National Audubon Society and became an Audubon ambassador until the day she died in 
May of 2007. Oh. Hmm. Another hawk was used for flying scenes and another to sit on Rutger Hauer's arm. Uh, one enjoyed Hauer's company so much that it would uh, ruffle its feathers when it seated on his arm, making it look more like a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rutger Hauer got his chicks, man. You know, I mean, I mean they, they help you fly. Like you just hold on to them and run, right? Mm. And uh, so the producer and director of this movie, Richard Donner, originally wanted to cast Rutger Hauer as the captain of the guard and Kurt Russell as Navarre. Um, and Howard and Rutger Hauer wasn't interested in that role, but expressed interest in playing Navarre. And then when Navarre. Russell dropped out a few days before principal photography began, the part was just handed over to Hauer. So. Hmm. And we're very glad it was. So what happened to the... How did they get the other guy to play the captain? Where'd he come from? I don't know. Moral of the story, make your desires known. I guess Mm -hmm. so. I I would have been interested to see Kurt Russell play that part, though. Okay. Kurt Russell is... is Snake. Snake Plissken. The North Pole. Okay, cool. Escape from medieval Eaglin? Yeah. Apparently. It would have been interesting, but I think it would have been a different movie if he'd have played... Navarre. He he brings a presence and a type of personality to every character that he has. It would have been a very different movie. It would have. I don't know that he would have worked with Broderick as well as Rick Howard did. Let's follow follow the formula, people. I don't want to be stuck in this wormhole. (laughs) (laughs) Want to go back to watching bad movies? I, I, I want to be able to go back to at least having a few taco machines on the outside. Uh, are you feeling sad John do you need a hug I need come here big guy (laughs) I will say this Branson I have had uh, I have had octopus sushi before why would you tell him that calamari's good I do like calamari and I got an air fryer for Christmas Dallas I have swords guys and you do owe him for stabbing you in the neck. Y'all, Are we still on this? For me, if y'all hurt him, Mandy is going to come after me. That sounds like a problem for you to worry about. I'm going to come after you if she comes after me. <laughs> expectations, everybody. Are My expectations expe- are I have no idea what I'm walking into. I have never seen this movie a day in my life. The first time I ever heard about this movie was when Branson did a guest uh, appearance on uh, Geek Devotions like four years ago and talked about Lady Hawk. And so I'm walking in blind. Um, I'll say this. I don't normally rock with like medieval fantasy type of stuff. So, but we'll see what happens. Doesn't rock with medieval fantasy kind of stuff. (laughs) I also have no knowledge of this. Other than Branson loves it. Um, although it's the name's Lady Hawk, so it should be about a talking hawk, right? <laughs> we'll save that for the spoiler section. All right. Uh, Branson, I have a feeling I have a feeling I know how you feel you're gonna feel about this one, but what are your expectations? Um so real talk. Um I've lost count of how many times I've seen this movie. I watch it at least twice a year, uh, usually on my birthday and Father's Day, because one of the things that our family does to celebrate me is we sit down and watch this movie. Hmm. Uh, 
I stumbled on it by accident. It was playing on the sci-fi channel one day when I was in high school. And I watched it on a whim just because I was bored and absolutely fell in love with the movie. Uh, when Mandy and I were dating, one of the first Christmas gifts she ever got for me was a DVD copy of this movie. And I just, I, I just love the movie. I, you know, I, I, I expect to be just as entertained and just as enthralled and just as swept up into it as I am every time I watch it. So those are my expectations. All right. Gushing. Like you would expect somebody with tentacles for legs to do. I like how he was like visibly holding down the excitement and passion. Right. Like he brought that down to like a Bob Ross level. He's like, you know, happy mistakes of coming home, finding out on Wi <laughs> Fi channel. Uh, did you just did you just call this movie a happy mistake? Well, it was for Branson because <laughs> he he happily found <laughs> yeah. it on, on his accident. Yeah. Um. All right, so as far as where I'm at with this movie, like I am aware of this movie's existence and what what the what the core shtick of this film is. So, like I know the girl and the guy and the thing that's going on. I like trying not to What is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. Anyway, um yeah, no, I so I I I'm aware of the plot points of this movie i just and i re- I recall my mom at one point being like oh yeah i like that movie and that's about it that like that that's all i know is like my mom thinks this movie's okay and i know the thing and the thing so without trying to spoil things <laughs> sweet so as far as whether or not I'm going to like it, I don't know. Maybe sometimes I like the things my mom likes in movies. So, well, let's find out. Yes. Let's, let's go I'm eager. find out. Dear listeners, this is your opportunity to escape. Our crew has just entered into the media projection chamber. What horrors and madness that they consume are unknown. Their mental state upon their return is unknown you have been warned oh my god i understand branson so much more now what the I'll be crap there, i'll be there even if i have to pick the lock oh, it's wonderful oh you need tissue. i have tissue to spare here oh don't reach for that tentacle though. that's my popcorn did you just say you had a, had a uh to shoot a sparrow I, I have like a spare box over here. Spare. A spare box of sparrows? Tissues. Of, of tissues. Yeah. Oh, Kleenex. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Celeste, no, was it just, I mean, just to tie this into a different show that we do in a, in a different reality. Um, was it just me or did the story reek of like the French version of the princess bride? Shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm going to say no. As you wish. That is inconceivable. I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> oh, my God.
Does anybody want a peanut? <laughs> Hello, my name is Anigo Lamandaria. That still sounds Spanish. I can't. <laughs> Spanish and French are so closely related that I like. You can't do French and you can't do Scottish, so or Irish. No, I can't do Scottish. I can't do Irish because it always it sounds Scottish. Oh my gosh! Oh so. Lord! All right, so <laughs> this movie. Let's let's talk about let's let's talk about how we feel about this movie without talking about the specifics of this movie. Um, I'll I'll we'll defer we'll defer to Her Majesty uh, Celeste. Eh? Eh? Just eh? This is spoiler-free conversations here. Talk about anything else. <laughs> so it had some fun bits. Okay. Fun bits. Fun. Okay. This is going to be one of those shows. Okay. okay. Well, all right. I'm ready. Well, That's okay. I'm, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one to ask the question that the, the question that needs to be asked about this movie that doesn't pertain to the plot. Why disco? Somewhere <laughs> for the backing track of everything. <laughs> Why now? Philharmonic Orchestra, man. <laughs> it was the eighties, my dude. Oh, my dude, this was eighty. This was eighty-five. This was long after disco died. Like, this is why. I don't know. I was very confused. I, I will say this: like, I know it was disco-ish, but it felt very eighties. Like the oh, entire disco. film, very eighties. It felt it felt like a nineteen eighties film. I legitimately the storytelling, was, the pacing, everything. There was a couple. Go ahead, Celeste. I legitimately was waiting for David Bowie to pop out of a corner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you got a child. Oh, no, not yet. Okay, come back later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll say dance, this. pigeon dance. <laughs> I think this may be the youngest I've ever seen Michelle Pfeiffer in my life. I don't think I've ever seen her younger. I think this was her first, if I if I recall right. Wasn't it the same? She's the same age for Catwoman. No, no, uh, Catwoman, Catwoman was, was, was not like ninety two. Yeah, eighty six. She was older. Uh, she did Scarface she in eighty three. Mm. Grease two. She was she was uh, a character in I, Grease two. I know she was. I knew she was in Grease two. Which she was I just never remember. With, I did watch uh, that, so I have seen that. She played a waitress in a movie with Al Pacino, but I don't know Scarface. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Scarface. It was a romance. There was this guy who got a job working as a chef at a diner, and she was a waitress at the diner. It was a love story. Was it Dog Day Afternoon? I don't remember. It's been uh, so long since I've seen it now. Anyway, let's talk about this movie, the one that <laughs> that we watched. Yeah, because is Branson's favorite. I thought the scenery was nice. I thought that the the I don't know where they filmed it. Maybe you guys know, but I no I idea. It was, it was a beautiful Castle backdrop. Ruins in Europe. There were actual castle ruins in Europe. I watched the uh, director's commentary years ago. So it was actual castle ruins. My, my go ahead, Dallas. I'm sorry. I'm stepping on everybody. Oh, that's cool. I was just saying that I think I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was, it was a a lovely uh, um, view of everything. It really was. was The the cathedral was pretty. Oh yeah. Although Mm -hmm. I kept expecting a vampire Lord to come out of the floor. (laughs) (laughs) But I, well, uh, a mouse. I, 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 there, I do have a gripe with this movie and it, it, it's, it, it's kind of a gripe I have for a lot of medieval movies that were filmed about this time in that, like is it how clean the way the costuming, is? the way the costuming is done, 
mm-hmm. for these. Like there's a couple times for when they would shoot Matthew Broderick from the back where he had the pants on and then the, the stuff that was tied around the, uh, his pant legs, I guess to make it look more medieval ish. And then the way his shoes were on there, like fr- there was a couple times from the back, it literally just looked like he was wearing gray sweatpants with shoelaces <laughs> tied around the bottom of it and some Reebok high top 1980s looking basketball shoes on. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will say this, the armor that was worn by the bishop's guards and the swords that they fought with, they very much looked like stage props. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a, yeah, like yeah. a Broadway play. So I, there wasn't a lot of realism put into those things. Oh, for sure. Or the magical helmets that they had that had the visors going across the eyes. That that mm-hmm. totally reminded me of those gla- those sunglasses they had in the 1980s that had those little mini plastic sun visors going across oh, your really? field of vision. I got to be honest, though. I thought those looked kind of cool. They had a weird, like I get practically they probably wouldn't work in an actual medieval sword fight, but I thought they looked cool, especially navars because it had the wings coming around mm-hmm. you know yeah so had, i noticed like, this that hawk when, motif yeah i thought I, that was cool i, actually, I liked it i thought that was kind of cool looking i think it would have looked better for a like a sci-fi type of thing if they were to put yeah. this like yeah. on a another earth and like it was like one of those like high fantasy sci-fis kind of like uh kroll i think it yeah. would have worked a lot better yeah um, like a futuristic bro. medieval type thing Mm-hmm. We we we've already popped that in a nostalgia snot bubble with curl, <laughs> my dude. Nothing's better with curl. Curl just curl wasn't good to begin with. I mean, it, it remembers better than it actually watches. So, oh my gosh, oh guy for um, two. But that being said, <laughs> he's a guy for two. Um, but yeah, the costuming. I, I'm with you, John. Like, there, there's a lot of things about you're like. All right, this it, you guys are just it's they look like props. They look cool at times, but they just didn't fit right. It felt like they were from a different space for some reason. I just need to know what they put onto the prisoners' uniforms that Matthew Broderick's outfit before he he got more clothes because he changed clothes at least once. I feel like that's not a spoiler. Um, what <laughs> what they put on it to keep the ick out of it. Because it was a linen color. Right. <laughs> but they were all white. <laughs> but it, it, but that just plays into the, it very much had a stage mm-hmm. quality to it. Like, almost like you were watching a play mm-hmm. more so than a film. Yeah. Well, that, ex- that, know, would, that would uh, start to explain Matthew Broderick's acting quality in this movie. How old was he in this movie? Mm. Uh, this might have been his debut movie. Uh, Because he was super young. If only he was super talented, too. Hey, I like... (sighs) He was 24 years old in this film. And this is not his first film. Ah, really? Yeah. I stand corrected. To be fair, he kind of does play the same character in everything. Before that, he was in a movie on a show called Lou Grant. Then he was in a movie called Max Dugan Returns. Then he was in War Games, before, which was... Where I first saw him, and I I, I enjoy war games, uh, and then he was in a movie called 1918, and then he was in Lady Hawk. Ah, hmm. So yeah, I mean, he was yeah, like I said, 24. You want you want to know what other, what other movie he was also into? 
What's that? Steelers Day Off. Godzilla. Ferris yeah. Bueller and Big Lizard. <laughs> he was also in Rick and Morty. That makes sense. Why does that make so much sense? Anyway, uh, ter- let's stop talking about terrible actors and talk about this movie. Um, I think that the there were so there are certain. Uh, I there's something I want to talk about, but I can't do it without getting into a spoiler. So I'm going to hold off. See, on that's how I feel about Matthew Broderick's acting, but I have to point out specific things in order to rebut. So I can't say anything right now. But my All silence right. is not agreement. <laughs> my silence right, well, is not agreement. Can well, I talk you hear, about you hear Spanish? The, the Spanish uh, poster for it is wild looking. Like it I is the know. worst drawing I've ever seen in my life. I was going to say the Spanish Inquisition. And I was like, I actually am expecting the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, what a show. <laughs> well, all right then. Let's, let's go ahead and just rip this Band-Aid off because... Branson's frothing at the mouth and Dallas wants to blow something that, up. So. That might actually be ink, given my current condition. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, he made me ink. Ladies and gentlemen, the spoiler section. Okay. Okay. Matthew Broderick does play the same character in almost all of his movies, especially the younger ones. I don't deny that, but it fits in this movie. I love his character in this movie. He is the embodiment of a struggling baby Christian who is trying to understand all these moral lessons that he thinks he knows, but doesn't actually know. And he's constantly trying to figure out what the right thing to do is he's struggling with when I do the right thing, it's the right thing, but I get bad results. And when I do the wrong thing, it's the wrong thing, but it makes me happy. He embodies that. And and, and he's the comic relief of the movie. Otherwise this would be a very depressing movie. It's about unfulfilled love and revenge and all that. And by bringing in the mouse, it brings a sense of levity. It, It brings a sense of hope. He, he is the mouthpiece for the two lovers, they are completely unable to communicate until he comes into the scene. And even though he's not quoting verbatim what they say, he's saying what they feel in their heart. And I'm rambling again, aren't I? Okay. I'm going to put put my tentacles back down. To counter, sir, (laughs) to counter, I will say this. My issue was not with the character Matthew Broderick played. My issue is with Matthew Broderick. I don't think he did a good job in this movie. I didn't care about his character. Uh, I don't, I, I didn't even believe, I didn't even feel like his character was a real person. I, it felt like this is a caricature being done by Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick was like the Muppet. So instead of, you know, you always have in a Muppet movie, you always have a few humans and then everybody else's Muppets. In yeah. this movie, Matthew Broderick was the Muppet and everybody else was the humans. Yes, but, that that's that's actually a really good mm-hmm. allegory for what I'm trying to say. Because I had I had the issue of like it would it felt like because of Matthew Broderick's portrayal of the character, it I had the issue of it was taking me out of the movie because it would be this really serious moment and he's over here cracking jokes and like they're not funny. 
They were funny to me. I laughed out loud every, several every times. Every once in a while, he had a funny joke. <laughs> so, I mean, generally, I, I the ones I laughed at were the ones that I was actually saying while I was watching it. Because every once in a while, it would be something. But it, I, I think it would have been a better movie had they tried to play it straight. See, I'm calling... I'm calling for a character swap between two different movies on this. I think I would have enjoyed um, Matthew Broderick's character better in The Princess Bride. And I would have enjoyed Inigo Montoya better in this movie. But in The Princess Bride, his character would have gotten lost because that whole movie is one-liners and comic relief and, and this and that. And don't get me well, wrong. Maybe I love he, Princess Bride. I think maybe then movie. he would have learned how to do it right because uh, he, he just did it right. He already did it right. You're just a sourpuss. I'm not. <laughs> Bro. I, I promise you, I wanted to like, I wa- I came into this want for your sake, wanting to like this movie for my mom's sake, wanting to like this movie. Um, it's just for me, it felt like everybody in this movie was trying to go towards Robin hood, Prince of thieves. And Matthew Broderick was trying to go towards the princess bride. I think he was trying to go towards men in tights. See, I, I, I'm just going to throw this up there cause I haven't given my opinion a bit yet on this discussion. Um, as far as Matthew Broderick's character and the, the comedy brought and actually helped me get through the movie more. Eighties um, movies suffer with storytelling as far as yeah, pacing it is their 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 pacing is horrific and matthew broderick brought a level of levity that allowed me to continue through it he brought the little break and like Brenton said you know the, he, he was that bridge between the two he was a kind of awkwardness to it it is the same character as Brenton said in every matthew broderick movie he's ever done in his entire adult life and in his afterlife when they have ai him, him doing stuff later it's the same character, but it, it helped me to get through the movie more because it broke up the, the exposition. It broke up the longness of, it, of everything, and it gave, you, gave me a character that I can be like, oh, okay, I can enjoy this character. Again, I think that if it had been somebody else playing the character and played it a little less goofy and a little more sarcastic humor, and maybe that's just a preference because I prefer sarcasm. Um, especially in movies. So like, I don't get me wrong. I love a good goofy movie, but when you're mixing a serious tone with a funny tone, sarcasm to me fits better mm-hmm. because it just flows e- easier. In my opinion, again, I could be wrong. That's just how I feel. I, I, I will go with that. I, I would say if you'll, if you'll accept, if you'll accept my allegory, um, I felt like this movie, the for that part, it called for, it called it called for Groucho Marx, but we got Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, or rather, it called for Groucho, and we got the Stooges, because there wasn't Charlie Chaplin. But it, to me, is not as good of a comparison. But that's just my own personal. Okay, I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> it's a good analogy. The Stooges. Philippe Gaston is a guy who he has a high intelligence, but not a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like he's smart enough to get himself in trouble, but not smart enough to avoid it. Like he, like when, when you first meet his character, he's so excited that he's escaped 
from the dungeons of Aquila that the first thing he does is run to an end to brag about it and doesn't stop to think for a second. I'm bragging to an end within walking distance of the dungeon. I just escaped from, and there might be soldiers here looking for me. And that's why that, that whole scene is, is great because he's bragging and he he's, he has this gentlemanly way that even when he's talking with guys who absolutely hate him, he's, he's polite. He's, you know, he's, he's saying things. He, he cuts the captain of the guard on the cheek and says, I'm so terribly sorry. Like he just, he's, he's constantly winging it and keeps getting into trouble over and over and over again. And that to me is what makes his conversation with Navarre after the incident on the ice, when he says, that sword has become a symbol of your hatred and, and, and grim death. There's no quest now. There's a chance for you to have life. And he is genuinely pissed off at Navarre. And so throughout the whole movie, he's awkward and, and weird and jumping into these situations. But then in that scene, he's had enough. He's had enough of Navarre's selfishness. He's had enough of Navarre's quest for vengeance. He genuinely, because he cares about Navarre, he genuinely wants to see him happy. He genuinely wants to see Isabeau happy. And so that makes that scene where he's just laying it all out there and says, let me tell you how selfish you're being right now. Oh, and by the way, you see these scratches. This is what I got saving your life last night. It accents that, that scene so clearly because that's one of the few times in the movie he actually is serious, that he is speaking truth, that he is speaking wisdom. It's one of the wisest moments in the movie I will and, say, and one of my favorite scenes, actually. I will say that that scene was very well done. My problem was that, again, he, he was so goofy in moments that it took me out of the movie. Like it made me it made me lose interest. The other issue I had, though, was I didn't think the main character was interesting, like the main guy. I had he was obnoxious and I had no interest in his his plot line. Now, when it switched to the girl, to Michelle Pfeiffer, all about it. But when he was talking, I'm like, yeah, you're uh, OK, cool. Mm. He I was had consumed a, with vengeance. I had a similar problem, but for different reasons. Like for me, like. It, 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 but it would it would it was for both Rutger Hauer and Michelle Pfeiffer, like because every time Michelle Pfeiffer's on the scene, all on the screen, all I could think was like, "There's Catwoman." <laughs> and I then I thought she actually did a really good job of playing somebody who's not in a human that, body all the time. I, that, and that's that's fine. It's just my my problem is, is like if if my brain auto associates you with a specific role too hard, that's just who you are. Yeah. See, and that I, I saw I saw it's, Batman it's, Returns first, and so I, I knew her as Catwoman first. Mm-hmm. After I saw Lady Hawk for the first time, and I went back and saw Batman Returns later, I actually had the thought: Isabeau looks a little older. Like I, 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 I cannot see her as Catwoman anymore well, because and, of this movie. But do you see the problem is on the other side of it though, with Rutger Hauer, I'm like hobo with a shotgun. I don't know what that is. It's a movie. Is it really? Yeah. It, it's a movie. It, uh, and it's a really good movie. Branson, you'll never watch it. <laughs> um <laughs> But it's a very good, it's a very good, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Dark comedy? Grindhouse, Grindhouse movie. Mm. 
but I digress. So, you know, I'm, I'm caught between these two things where it's just like Batman, Hobo with a shotgun, Batman, Buffy, the vampire slayer, Buffy, um, the vampire slayer. How did that one get in there? Uh, because Rutger Hauer was also the main villain in the Buffy, the vampire slayer movie from 1990. He was faster. No, the movie. Never mind. I haven't seen that one still. That's where it all began. Everybody. <laughs> Luke Perry and Christy Swanson. That's the first time I actually saw him. Well, that anyway. must have been the first time I saw him too, but I don't remember it. <laughs> Clearly it didn't leave an impression. <laughs> anyway, so it, it's just one of those things. I had the same issue and, and, and I loved the, I loved the remake of true grit, but it was the same. I had the same issue with uh, what's his face. Who was, who was playing the main, the main lead in the true grit remake. Um, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Jeff Bridges. Every time I saw it, I'm there. I'm like, check it out, man. The dude's riding the horse. (laughs) (laughs) But I, the end scene with Michelle Pfeiffer was amazing. Like where she walked up to the, the priest and just kind of was like glaring at him. Uh Drops the Jess in his hand. She plays that really well. That, we, we, that when she walked in, I was like, man, she is fierce in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I, in order to appreciate that, you have to spend an entire movie with her living a half-life where she's a bird half the time. The man that she absolutely loves, she thinks she will never see again. And then in that moment, she's the conflicting emotions because she finally sees her true love in human form for the first time in years. And then she also sees the man who put her life through the torture that it is. I mean, ah. See, I just think Michelle Pfeiffer's fierce. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to win the heart and mind of Dallas by saying it. I might have this story. This story would have worked better as a samurai movie. I can make that happen in my head. I was about to say, we are not doing a movie. But do you see what I'm saying, though? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, like Rutger Hauer's character is like some banished Ronin. Mm-hmm. Honestly, and, that would have made a bit more sense to me. And because... Michelle Pfeiffer's character would have been like some kind of priest maiden, right? And they fell in love, but they're cursed not to be there by some evil monk of some other like Shaolin order. It would have been a rolling You're shogun. saying change the nationality of the film and you instantly like it better. No, it makes more sense. It Well, I think the, here's the deal. Cause uh, we can't guarantee that these actors wouldn't, would have done a better job. I think it's not the nationality, Brent. It's the, it's the cultural reference in my head. I can make connections to certain cultural discussions and norms <clears throat> and things that we've the reason, seen. The reason those, why the Ronin would have to go exact his revenge on the, but, but right. this, yeah, but the thing is, like, I'm not, I'm not steeped in medieval European romance. You are, and so for you, because you are deep in that, you are the Knights of the Round Table. You are mm-hmm. deep into the the romances. Um, you are a, you are a romantic. Every generation at- having a quest is very much a medieval thing. Like yeah, him yeah. wanting to fill a jewel on his sword, his family sword. Yeah, that was a thing. That was totally that. a thing. So that wished mission to kill. That would that I wanted that story. I wanted that if they had gone into that conversation, 
that felt like such a a fleeting thing. Yeah. If they've gotten a little bit more detail about the quest to put a gem in the stone to make that hole, like and and have some sort of yeah that my great great grandfather did, and he did this this and this, and then, like and then just, tie that into this whole this love affair with Michelle Pfeiffer's character. I think that would have elevated this another level for me. I think it would have grounded the quest aspect. Yeah, I understand the the romance of it and the 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 love the desire of like it's legitimately it's a it is a beautiful and very um caring story of this romance of lovers never being able to touch each other like they go into the whole thing about like the priest goes into the last minute and i appreciated that that whole thing where he was like you know that at right at sunrise right when they think they could touch each other they cannot they transform they change and it's that forever missing love. I totally get that, and I respect it uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, but again, it's just because John and I we're we're very steeped in uh, Asian cultural stuff, just because it's our personal interest. And I, when I think about medieval stuff, all I can think about is, do they brush their teeth? And so it's just <laughs> I'm not deep into it. <laughs> but I can see, like I can see them doing that. And, and making it work out. I don't think the story doesn't make sense. I want to make that make that clear. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. the story makes sense perfectly, and I understand the struggle. And uh, I my problem I ran into I did on the struggle is um, the the DVD copy we had has no subtitles, and or at least the side of it we did. And so I was having a hard time hearing the dialogue in some scenes, it and pretty quiet. And uh, the, yeah, the explanation on the front end about why they were doing what they're doing i i was a i picked out like as soon as the wolf scene ended i looked at celeste as like rama one half by day he's he's a dude by night he's a chick and <laughs> not quite that but like it was like the reverse like one wakes up the other yeah. one does her thing like i called it right away but i didn't understand the intricacy of it and i missed portion i actually had to spend a portion of the movie piecing it together i still don't quite understand why the priest was a jerk totally in what he did uh and what the bishop did uh just because it was hard hearing certain things for me but you're talking about the bishop of aquila yeah yeah the bishop didn't want to be a bishop he wanted to get married Mm. she said no 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 the the one that betrayed him i I missed how he betrayed him drunk father imperius his vice is drunkenness he Mm. likes the alcoholic beverages too much one Mm. and but he was aware of Navarre and Isabeau's love for each other because they both talked to him about it. He was like the the priest in Romeo and Juliet that was kind of help, helping them see each mm. other. That was kind of his role. Well, he got drunk one night and admitted to the bishop, yeah, I'm helping Navarre and Isabeau have, have love together. And that ticked the bishop off. Mm. So uh, that started the chase and uh, he chased them down. They were running away and he was chasing them. And when he realized he could never quite catch up to them, that's when he made a deal with the devil, cursed them mm-hmm. with the, this whole idea of, you know, if I can't have her, then no man will. And so he cursed them both to where they would always be together, but never actually be able to be together. Right. You know, I get that now. I see what's happening. Can... Two things, two thoughts. My, my last two thoughts on, on, this side of the grades one i don't think they had the right leads for them it was not the right combination i don't think they had good chemistry with each other on that aspect like 
anytime the brief moments that you saw them together it, it they didn't look like a good couple well i mean and there's a 20-year gap between the two of them we'll start and with then at, <laughs> and then at the end of the movie when they're like together and they're like oh i love you so much let me swallow your face um <laughs> i'm just like ew gross <laughs> to like, be fair. gross like for real it's like it's like watching somebody chug a jar of mayonnaise and it's just like just because the script says to doesn't mean you have to pretend you like it i gross dude yuck all right so i liked it but that's me i mean some people like mayonnaise scenes of Um, of cinema (laughs) and then the set the second part of it is and i think that this is my this is my biggest issue it's more of a me thing but it kept reminding me of other things that i like better you say that so often this show it reminds me of things i like better there was this movie where i saw it off a guy's face that was a great <laughs> I <was> like, what? <laughs> no it's just i and i i kept live texting it with you guys just like this right now i'm feeling robin hood Okay, and then a couple minutes later, she's like, "Oh, I'm I'm feeling some Willow off this right here." Another movie I didn't like, but it's just like it's just like it just reminded me of other movies that did what it was trying to do so much better. Like even 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 some of the chase scenes, I'm like, "Hey, this reminds me of that one song, Send Me an Angel.' From I don't remember by who who it was by, but." If you see the music video, very Lady Hawk, and quite frankly, it said it told the story a little bit better. Not gonna lie, mm, agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> Send me an angel. I was attacked. <laughs> no, no, I, I I walked into this fully realizing that I was going to have a much higher opinion of this movie than than probably the rest of you. And you know what, okay. Brant's? Branson, I am glad that this one has weathered the nostalgia train better than Giver Two for you. To be, <laughs> I I felt so bad for you after Giver Two, and you're, you're and just wow. It was like watching somebody tell a kid that Santa doesn't exist. I was legitimately like worried that Giver Two was going to be as scarring to you as your tomato. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I haven't thought about him in ages. Actually, it's probably would be worse because he didn't <laughs> enjoy he didn't enjoy Guyver two while he was devouring it. Right, right. That's so funny. Right. Uh, number six. Stop trying to reach for John's throat. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Bad can number we, six. Can we sure talk about you numbered them? Alfred Molina for a minute because <laughs> I'm not sure why he was present. Um, I enjoy Alfred. I wanted more of him. I, so this is, this is my thing. This is what I, and this is something we've said many times on the show. Also, again, it, it's an interesting movie, but walk with me on this. What if instead of doing a two hour movie, they did a 10 hour series and we stretch certain story portions out, like Alfred Molina hunting down the, fo- the the wolves, get a little bit of why he's even involved in the world, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Like, if we can 
pace those things out a little bit more, make some of these characters a little bit more rich, I think that would have added a lot more. I maybe have a couple of like, episodes where you see the bishop pursuing Isabeau. Yeah. Or and just flashbacks. Like just give me flashbacks of those. Yeah, like maybe episode three or four, see yeah. him actually make the deal with the devil. Definitely would have benefited from having more exposition and less show and tell, if that makes yeah. sense. Because there's uh, things that just assumed you would go with and it didn't go well. Right. Dallas. Sir. I have it. I have I have the idea. Oh no. Present. Take to take your series idea, like a 10, 10 episode series, mm-hmm. make it a samurai anime. <laughs> Honestly, a Lady Hawk anime in the current setting would work. Because again, I, they could then add more nah, more story nah, to nah, it. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, I want I want my samurai anime in the style of Revenger, how that came out last year. Oh yeah, that was a good yeah. style. Yeah, I can see that working. Which so, one? I want I want to go back to Alfred Molina because his scene at the end or at the end, in the middle of the movie where he dies, I want to talk about that moment for a moment. Like what, because okay, you keep saying this name, but I'm trying to remember who the Cesar. He was the Wolf Hunter, Doctor Octopus from Spider Man Two. He was really dirty, so it's hard to recognize him. But um, he's the one that when uh, Isabella, or what is that her name? Isabeau. 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 She, she uh, transforms into her human form in the barn, and they have the dancing scene between her and Ferris Bueller. They walk out, and then there's the home dude with the wolf pelts, and she's freaking out. Oh, right. Yeah, that guy. Okay. That death scene, though, I'm not going to lie. It's <laughs> like the wolf shows up, and she sees that you know, it's home dude, and so... She has a knife, and instead of stabbing him in the in the head, she kicks him. And I, literally, my words to Celeste is like, "Well, that's not going to do anything. Stab him!" And then you see that he landed on the bear trap, and I was like, "Well, okay, well that works too. I guess that's that's a good way to take him out." He did legitimately, <laughs> but okay, now stab him. <laughs> but Isabeau is supposed to be a daughter of a count. She's not a warrior princess. Right. She is a lady of the realm. She's she wouldn't know what to do with a knife. Pointy end goes into soft parts. <laughs> Generally. Put but, tab A into spot. <laughs> but three in the pounds heat of pressure, of a, eyeballs pop. But in the heat of a tense moment where you were fearing for either your life or the love love of a lifed one. The love of the life of a loved The love one. of a lifed one. <laughs> Welcome to the live yeah. day, ladies and gentlemen. Han Solo is going to show up. <laughs> no. So anyhow, I it, it's not hard for me to see her being inept in combat, given who her character is supposed to be. She's probably not someone who handles stress. I get that, uh, but my girl jumped on that horse and ran out like Dom, like like freaking Fast and Furious. This is family going after this dude. Like she okay, got on the yeah. horse, grabbed a knife. She was on it. She had she intentions to use that thing. I'm not saying she doesn't have spirit, but have you ever got, got gotten up and gone to do something you knew you we were going to do, and then get halfway through it and realize I have no clue what I'm doing? That's called ADHD, Branson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no. I'm just saying. I yeah. I mean, it I wasn't believable for me to see her struggle with a knife. You know. He's not saying it wasn't 
it was unbelievable. It's just he he wanted her to stab him. But <laughs> then oh, I okay. saw, when I saw that she kicked him into the bear cage, I was like, I'm okay with this. This was a good death. Like I genuinely <laughs> laughed harder than I should have at that moment <laughs> when I realized what had happened. It was great. It was fantastic. Oh, the fact that they focused on him twitching in the. Tr- <laughs> Like, why are we watching this poor man just yeah. like twitch? Yeah. yeah, I did have two scenes also there in the movie where Celeste and I were both were like, "Holy crap!" One was when they shot the arrow into the hawk form lady. Before uh, we knew lady, yeah, we suspected, we knew, but we didn't know, and they shot her in the chest. We're like, "Holy crap!" And then the other holy crap moment was when um, the wolf fell in the water, and they're trying to get him out, and they're struggling. I legitimately had some stress about that. Maybe it's because I'm a dog person. I don't like seeing pups get hurt. But at the yeah. same time, I was like, get him out. <laughs> I had stress about both of those things because I did not check this movie on The Dog Doesn't Die before <laughs> I watched it. And I was like, if this animal dies, I'm a riot. I don't care if it's normally a human. That's a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so, But I did appreciate the moment. Like We talked about earlier in the show where like he's he's yelling at the at the kid and then he realizes that like the the scarring on his chest he's like he's he's here like he's he's locked in he's yeah. genuinely trying to help i appreciate that right. scene yeah. cuz there's a lot of people like we'll be flaring uh, I mean, this is not my weak connection but there's a lot of people like we're just in a rage and we don't, we miss the fact that people are genuinely trying to help us mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh the the first time i, I spoke about this movie on geek devotions i did a devotion on the role of father imperious about how he was in the right place at the right time to finally make up for his past mistakes. And uh, I keep saying so-and-so is one of my favorite characters of the movie. I think they're all my favorite character of the movie, <laughs> but what I appreciate about imperious is his need for everything to come out. Okay. Like, like his, no, this, you know, and, and, and part of it is, is, is a, is a personal thing. Like I've got to make up for my mistakes. I've got to make up for my sins, but it's this deep seated. I can't let you make this mistake the way I did. I can't let you live with guilt the way that, that I lived with guilt. Mm. And I, I don't know. I, well, I've said how I feel about this. Movie. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, I think we're winding down sufficiently. Uh, let's go ahead and transition over to our rating system. Uh, Celeste, your highness, have you, uh, have you been able to get the rating system down enough to share with others that what it means? I have it in front of me. Oh, I looked at the notes. I cheated. Oh. <laughs> so, the rating system for the bottom shelf, even in the wormhole is top shelf i need to own this middle shelf eh, if it was on if it's streaming if you know walked in and it was just on the tv like branson did originally bottom shelf probably won't watch this again dumpster fire i will actively try to keep people from watching this and to our knowledge we've never put a dumps a movie in the dumpster because even if we have because it burned (laughs) (laughs) except the Except maybe one might have escaped and became a Netflix exclusive TV show. That's another story. Okay. So, (laughs) Branson, I think we all know, 
what you're going to rate it, but you might surprise us. What's your rating? Well, if we're going specifically by the breakdown, mm-hmm. I not only own this, I own multiple copies of this. I have the original DVD that my wife got me when we were dating, and I have a Blu-ray copy so that I can see it in high-definition glory. I have watched this multiple times. I will watch it multiple times. I would be disingenuous to rate it as anything other than the highest place on the toppest shelf of our rating system. It is a solid, enshrined forever, top shelf, in my opinion. Okay. John? Gross. Um, <laughs> That's not an option, John. <laughs> no, I was just... No. Um, I wanted to like this movie. Uh, like I said, I, for, the, for Branson's sake and for my mom's sake, I wanted to like this movie, but I just... I couldn't pull myself out of Catwoman and Hobo with a shotgun and, and Matthew Broderick made me want to stab myself in the thigh. And I just, I just get frustrated with this movie because I can see how it could have been so much better. And I wish I could see it through Branson's eyes, but unfortunately it just, it it doesn't do it for me. Like I literally took an hour break in the middle of this movie to go do something else and come back in the middle of it. So, but I don't like hate it to the point where like, I'm like, it needs to cease to exist. Like it doesn't offend me on a personal level. I just, it's just not for me. So this one's going to be a solid bottom shell for me. Like I get why people like it. It's just, I don't Dallas. So for me, uh, you know, again, Matthew Broderick, I actually enjoyed his character. I thought it was fun and I appreciate the romance of the movie. Um, it is, it's legitimately, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful tale of, of love and, and, and being, having it so close, but so far away at the same time. And I, I can appreciate that at the same time. It has a lot of stuff going against it for me personally. I, just not really big into medieval high fantasy stuff. Um, 80s and 70s storytelling has a very slow pace to it. Um, and uh, again, I, I spent half the time going, did they brush their teeth? Like, when was the last time they bathed? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> and it confuses me. So for me, uh, like John, it's not. it doesn't offend me on a personal level. I am not dumpster firing this movie at all. And I totally respect why Branson loves it. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, this will not be going on a top shelf for me. It's a middle shelf. Uh, it's cool. Uh, I set a bomb shelf. I, I'll watch it again. If it's on television, I'm chilling. I'm like, yeah, cool. Watch it. Ladyhawk. That's cool. Neat. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun movie at times. I genuinely laughed. I genuinely had suspense, suspenseful moments at it. Uh, I, was, uh, I did call what, kind of what was happening. Um, I kind of, I'm with John. I'm like, man, I'm kind of cool if it was a, an anime, uh, type of thing. I, I, I want a 10 hour miniseries. I need somebody to take this story and stretch it out and make it in a 10 hour miniseries because I think that that will do this story so much more justice than what it's, than what it's been given. Um, so yeah, middle shelf. 
a, a firm, happy mill shelf. That's fair. All right, Celeste, that leaves you. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to break this three way tie we got going on right now. Right. So, this is not. It's not going to be a top shelf for me. Just, <laughs> it's just not. Like I understand why Branson likes it. It's it. It's one of those things of. I think if I'd come in a bit more prepared, and if nobody had compared it to the Princess Bride, <laughs> that I came in expecting that, and that is my favorite movie. So it's I came in expecting similar to Princess Bride, but more grounded, and that's not what I got. Um, so, but at the same time, if it's on, I'd watch it. Like. It, it's a fun movie to Mystery Science Theater 3000 it. Like, just sit there and make jokes and make fun of things. And, oh my God, how did that sword actually go through him? It's duller than my butter knife. Like, these are things that <laughs> it's it's a would be a fun movie to make fun of. I tried my best not to make fun of it because I didn't want to get it set in my brain that that it was not a... Like, I was trying to be open-minded about it. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, so I'm going to put it on the middle shelf. Well, all right, then. Well, ladies and gentlemen, according to the bottom shelf, uh, Lady Hawk is a contested but solidly planted middle shelf film. And uh, we want to hear from you guys. Did you like it? Do you not like it? Reach out to us and let us know. Hopefully, whatever strange bean has vanished us into this wormhole is pleased. <laughs> Entertain and will you please get Branson some pants? Crying out loud. How do you even make pants with eight legs? I don't know. Hey, you're the crochet artist. Figure it out. <laughs> I'm telling you, call Squid. Y'all have a meeting. Make it happen. Can I get reception in the wormhole? I got no bars. Man, your rap career's down the drain too now, John. Crap. I know, right? Um, also, this. Uh, should I be concerned that the manufacturer of the ship it was Spirit Airlines? Uh, I feel like that's a joke. I feel like that Glicks put that there as a joke because we did not buy it from Spirit. It's not Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's time for the Weak Connection. This is a Weak Connection! I was... I was so confused by that transition. <laughs> I was following Dallas as soon as he jumped in. I'm like, all right, I can rock with this. Yes. Welcome everybody to the week connection section of this episode of the bottom shelf, um, where we try to discern any spiritual truths we can from this middle shelf movie uh so as we come here today who has a bottom i mean i'm not a bottom shelf a weak connection for this movie uh right branson you cannot do 10 connections there are only eight dallas you have hands goober but my hands are holding the bible you're holding them up in the air you're over here like i have the power this counts <laughs> No, that was the devotion earlier today. <laughs> he, he looks like he looks like one of those flower things that you'd fight in the desert in the original Legend of Zelda. <laughs> Just spinning around with hands out and the 
Anyway, uh, let go. Let's go ahead and uh, start with Branson because, like, this movie is his jam. So I'm sure he's been waiting. All right. So this movie is rife with potential starting points for spiritual truths. Uh, another reason I love this movie. Uh, but for today, I'm going to focus on one of the most pious characters in the entire movie. And it is not the Bishop. Obviously it is not the former priest who has a past that he struggled with. It is not even the honor bound knight who believes he's on a quest from God to kill the Bishop. It is in fact, Philippe Gaston, the little mouse. He is the most pious character of this entire movie. And I'll tell you why throughout the entirety of the movie. Every moment, every point, he is praying to God. And every moment, when we first meet him, he fell into the sewers and he sees the what we know is the cow skull floating towards him. And he thinks it's some kind of monster. And he jumps up on the ledge and says, Lord, I promise I'll never pick another pocket as long as I live. I swear it. Now, here's the problem. How can I prove my good faith to you if I die? <laughs> and turns out that skull was just a skull. And from that moment on, he is a hardcore believer. God saved him from what he thought was certain death. And from that moment, he is praying. He is talking to God all the time. In fact, at what point in the movie, he even says, I talk to God all the time. And he's not lying. He talks to God all the time. Now, it isn't reverential prayer. It isn't uh, him quoting the Lord's Prayer. It isn't him taking the Eucharist. It's not him going to church. He's just talking to God like God's one of his friends. And he gets confused and he makes bad choices and he's constantly trying to figure out what it means to be a pious individual, to be someone who has chosen to follow God. But what I absolutely love about him is no matter how many times he missteps, no matter how many times he ends up in a situation he doesn't like, he never, not once, shakes his fist at God and says, what, 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 what's the deal? Come on. I, I don't understand. What's the problem? In fact, there's a moment where he says, when he's going back into the city of Aquila, he says, we have come full circle, Lord. I do hope there's some higher meaning in all of this. It would certainly reflect well on you. Like throughout the whole process, he is trusting that God has some plan. He doesn't know what it is, but he is trusting God. And that reminded me of a verse in, let me find it, Philippians chapter one. I think it's chapter one. Hang on. Y'all can edit this out. I got to make sure I have the, I should have looked up the, hang on. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Oh, it's Philippians chapter two. That's why I couldn't find it. My mistake. And now my Bible app is going crazy. Philippians chapter two. There we go. Philippians chapter two, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippe Gaston to me embodies this because he's working out his own salvation. He's like, okay, I'm a believer now and I have no clue what that means, but Lord, you and I are going to figure this out. I'm going to do what I think is the right thing to do. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but whether it works out or not, I'm going to figure it out. And his get back upness, 
if that's even a phrase. The way he Sisu. Sisu, yes. Yeah. The, the the refusal to be knocked down. He gets knocked down, but he gets again. Yeah, they're never going to keep him down. He gets knocked down, but he if gets ever, again. If you ever <laughs> describe Sisu with that song again, I'm going to lay hands on you, bro. Hey, I've got hands to spare. <laughs> <laughs> I've got eight of them. <laughs> but, okay, ten if you count the ones I started with. But, you know, uh, I, I love the fact that no matter what circumstance he's in, he's constantly talking to God. He's constantly praying to God. He is talking to God about everything that is going on in his life. And while it's comical because he's a thief, and sometimes it's obvious he clearly doesn't understand spirituality in the way most followers of Christ understand spirituality, he is wholly dedicated to following the Lord. God saved his life, and so for better or worse, through thick and thin, he is following the Lord. Even when he's talking to Father Imperius at the end, and he says, I promise I'll be at the pearly gates even if I have to pick the lock. Like he has no concept of of how to enter the pearly gates of heaven, but his idea is I'm going to be there. And that is a kind of grit. That is a kind of endurance that I I wish I had at times. Sometimes it's, it's very tempting for me to, honestly, when things are good, when things are going the way I want them to, I get very lax. I get kind of comfortable and what I'm doing. And I stop trying to figure things out and I stop trying to seek the Lord and I stop trying to, to understand his word. I, I stop trying to work out my own salvation. And I get to a point to where instead of speaking to God daily, I get to a place to where days or weeks go by and I'm, and I can't remember the last time I prayed. And then you have this little thief who's fresh out of the jail, technically a criminal. And he is talking to God all the time. He is working out his own salvation. He doesn't understand all of it, but he's trying to understand all the, all of it. And I I love that and I wish I could emulate that better. That that idea of God, I don't understand it now, but we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to keep seeking you as best I can, and even if I trip up, even if I mess up, even if I find myself on the top of a tower and the lady I'm trying to rescue falls completely off the edge and, and I have to I have to tell the truth about what happened to her. That's a very specific reference to the movie, by the way. Uh, <laughs> whatever is going on, I'm gonna follow you as best I can. And I, I just I this time watching the movie, I found that so endearing that that Philippe has no clue who God is, but he knows God is good and he pursues him with all of his all of his heart. And, and I think that is something that we as followers of Christ could learn from this little mouse. And that's my weak connection. All right. Anyone else? I have one. All right. So <clears throat> mine is, uh, I'm looking at the uh, story of our, of our faithful knight, And he's on this like mission. He's like a mission from God. And they're like, so I'm going to go kill these people. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I don't think, I think you need to go back and pray, man. And legitimately, it is like, but he. What it is is that he's just so blinded by vengeance, so blinded by anger, so blinded by bitterness that if he were to continue the path that he he was doing, he would have destroyed any opportunity to fix what it is that was bothering him. He would have destroyed the opportunity to be made whole, to be with his bride. 
or the woman that he wanted to be his bride. Uh, and it's, but that bit, and it, even down to the, like the wire, he still was struggling with it. And he was like, I'll just kill him. Just go ahead and kill him. And to the point where he left instructions where, Hey, if this is going well, go ahead and kill her quickly just to show her, her good graces. Not even having trust in the, in the, in the process of making things happen because he is so blinded by bitterness. And that is something that takes place in everyone's life. If we allow bitterness, we allow anything to get in front of what we're doing. We'll be so blinded by it that we will miss what God really has for us. We'll be missing what needs to take place. And we even see in the scriptures, there's a, a passage in, in 1 Samuel 22 where, where Saul, he is so blinded by anger and bitterness that he he kills a priest who did nothing wrong. Like he comes up to this priest in the, in the, who David earlier had tricked and uh, gotten some bread and gotten a sword. And Saul's going after him. And the priest's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is the first time I ever heard that you had a problem with David. This is the first time I ever heard that there that like to me, David was like, you know, he's your son-in-law. He's your right-hand man. He's out there killing the Philistines for you. I didn't know there was an issue. And but Saul is so blinded by his anger that he murders a priest. And if we are not careful when we are bitter, when we are um been hurt by people, whether they have rightfully hurt us, or sometimes we're we're bitter about something that's hurt us that People don't even know they hurt us with. We're so blinded by those things and we don't give those over to God. We will end up hurting more people and we will be causing more issues for ourselves. Saul killing this priest and doing everything he did. He was just peeping up more offenses and making the whole country going, something's wrong with that man. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with Saul and made them more endearing toward David. <laughs> and if we're not careful out of our bitterness, the way it will seep out, way we talk to people, the way we treat people, the way we view situations. We'll walk into a situation that has nothing to do with the situation that, that we're dealing with, but we, because we're looking through the lens of bitterness, because we're looking through the lens of everything else, we'll be like, well, clearly that's such and such. And we're overlaying our own trauma onto things. And then even to the point when we're talking with the people who are hurting, because we have our own trauma that we've not dealt with, because we're not getting rid of, we're actually imbuing our own bitterness and trauma onto them, hurting them in a way that they have nothing to deal with and so my encouragement is take care of bitterness and be calm proverbs chapter 4 um talks about guarding your heart starting in verse 23 keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life and so what this the psalmist is saying he's like look guard what's here don't allow junk to get into it because springs of life come out of it on the flip side of that if it's polluted if it's nasty springs of Pollution and nastiness will creep out. Verse 24, put away your crooked speech and your devious talk from you. What's happening is the psalmist is beginning to walk us through how to guard our heart, how to put away crooked speech, devious talk. Put those things, get rid of those things out of your life. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze straight before you. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on what God has for you. Don't look to the left or right, as it says at the bottom of that, but keep moving forward. Ponder the path of your feet then your ways will be sure. And what that means is be intentional about the steps you take. Be intentional about what you're going to do, about what you're going to say, how you're going to respond to the world around you. In verse 27, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. That's what we have to do because if we don't, we will allow bitterness, anger, um, unforgiveness to taint everything we do. 
from our friendships to our marriages to our our working relationships to just your neighbor and the crazy person in Kroger that smells like bacon. Why does the crazy person smell like bacon? That's a question we all ask. It's better than smelling <clears throat> like calamari, just saying. All right. <laughs> well, no, you probably should from salt. Want to thank everybody for tuning in and hanging out with us for this episode down the wormhole. If you get this transmission, send help. <laughs> we are trapped watching good movies. I'm, I'm not sure how this is a punishment. I, I, I'm sure we'll 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 figure it out somewhere along the ways. I somewhere. suppose somebody will write uh, that into the storyline. It's, it's enticing us to want to stay here. We never want to leave because we did watch we, good movies. It's did like we decide a, who's opening their box next in this? I think it was Celeste. Me? I get to open a box? I think so. Yes. Is there going to be a pattern for eight-legged pants? N- n- the movie box. Oh. <laughs> so tune in. Tune in next time to find out what's in Celeste's movie box. So until... Next time, does anybody have anything else they want to promote before we go off the air? Check out the bottom shelf on Facebook and Instagram. Also check out our podcast feed and YouTube to share it out to folks and let us know what you think. All of that. Check out all the other Geek Devotion stuff. Yes, all of that too. And a little something coming out eventually whenever free time allows. Branson and I are talking about doing a... Uh, extra Tuesday podcast every so often called Church Talk with John and Branson. It's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory. Uh, <laughs> just, just candid conversations about things that strike our fancy with Branson being a former pastor and me going into seminary. So conversations to ensue. But until then, everybody stay devoted. Peace and love. <laughs>